Early on, I had to learn to adjust my expectations on what I thought parenting was gonna look like and how I thought I was gonna be as a mom. I like to separate out what I can and can't control and focus on the things I can control. I just keep my words small and I focus on one thing at one time. It helps them process what I'm asking of them and it keeps us calm. The idea that work is valuable and, and that we all contribute to the family is really important. If we are struggling with stuff and our emotions, then we should be able to take those to a doctor too. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, I am so excited about today's episode. It's definitely a very different topic than things I normally discuss on this show. And when Melanie's publisher reached out to me about coming on the show, I was hesitant because I am not a mother. I don't have kids. I don't know if I ever will have kids. And so I felt like I would approach the interview from a place where I don't have my own experience and I would just feel lost in the conversation. But I asked in my Facebook group if you guys would be interested in this, and it was an overwhelming yes. You guys were begging to have this interview. So then I decided to read Melanie's book, Oh My Goodness. I say this in the interview, but one of the funniest things I have ever read in my entire life, and it completely opened up my eyes to the challenges and experiences and joys and everything about raising kids. So I decided this interview was meant to be, and it ended up being everything I could hope for and more. I think you guys will really, really love it. Even if you don't have kids, this conversation is so helpful, so enlightening. Like I said, reading Melanie's book was really eye-opening for me, and I think I took a lot from it. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you guys. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash parenting. Those show notes will have a complete transcript, so definitely check that out. There will also be two giveaways for this episode. One will be a signed book giveaway for Melanie's book. Check out my Instagram for that. The second giveaway will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. If you are enjoying this show, it would mean the absolute world, world, world if you could take a brief moment and write an iTunes review. It really helps with getting the show out there, bumping it in the charts so more people see it, and just creating a really great vibe surrounding everything. So thank you in advance so much for that. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Melanie Dale. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited about the conversation that I am about to have, and I'm going to tell a little backstory to this episode. So it was either the agent or the publicist or somebody on this fabulous author's team reached out to me about her new book, which is about a topic that I am personally not that familiar with, which is parenting. So at first I wasn't really going to consider it, but then I decided to pull my audience and see if they would be interested in the topic. And the response that I got was 
overwhelmingly positive and excited. And listeners, you just wanted this episode so bad. And so I was like, okay, I'll read the book. So I read the book, which is Calm the Heck Down, How to Let Go and Lighten Up About Parenting. Okay. First of all, I honestly think it was the funniest thing I have read in the entirety of 2020. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It was like hysterical. Second, so I am not personally a parent. I don't anticipate being a parent in my near future, but I feel like I learned so much about parenting and it was really a mindset and approach that really, really resonated with me. And I think will really resonate and really help out listeners as well. So I'm just so excited and honored to have today's guest on the show, which is Melanie Dale. Melanie, thank you so much for being here. Melanie, thank you for having me. I know I've never interviewed a Melanie before. I'm like, is this what people with the name Jennifer always feel like? It's so exciting. (laughs) That's so true. Sarah or Emily or, wow. I feel like Melanie is actually a really rare name. I don't meet a lot of Melanie's. I don't either. I I meet just enough of them to be excited, but you know, like it's still, it's pretty rare to encounter one out into the wild. So hi. Hi. Actually, I have to ask you one more Melanie question. I'm named after Melanie and Gone with the Wind. Do you know who you're named after? Hello. Like the famous Melanie. That went into part of it. And also my mom said they went to school with a Melanie and she always liked the name. I personally like the name Melanie and have adopted it because it means like wearer of black and black darkness. And I wear a lot of black and I'm into like the macabre, you know, so I feel like it fits. Wait, it means that? Like Mela, you know, Mela is, yeah. This is so, I wear, like black is the only thing I wear. I am so excited. Okay. We are off to a great start. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm super into gothic horror. And so whenever people ask me about it, I'm like, well, I kind of had to be, I mean, look at my name. I am too. Well, that was one of the things I read your book and I was like, I feel like I'm reading a book that I wrote. I don't know. There's so many things that you talked about, like Nancy Drew fangirl and (laughs) Epcot and just so many things. But in any case, so for this episode, I think what I'm going to do is a lot of the content, even as me not being a parent, really, really resonated with me. And I would love to ask you questions about it. And then I also polled my audience for questions. So I have a lot of specific questions from listeners for you as well. So if you like, we can just see where it goes. Oh yeah. Let's jump in. All right. So to start things off for listeners who are not familiar with your work, because you're also the author of four other books, you're a staff writer for Coffee and Crumbs. Do you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal story? I guess what brought you to, to writing and being an author and particularly what made you decide to write a book about parenting, which you talk about in the beginning of the book, but if you'd like to tell listeners. Totally. So I have three kids from three different continents. And let me just break that down for you really fast. So I went through a long battle with infertility. And then at the end of that, finally had my son, Elliot, and he is 13 now. And then we adopted our youngest daughter from Ethiopia. Her name's Evie when she was two and she's 11 now. And then we adopted our oldest daughter, Anna from Latvia when she was nine and now she's 16. So we have three kids from three different continents. We adopted them out of birth order. We, we messed with birth order. We've had a lot to calm the heck down about. (laughs) And so, so my, my road to parenting and, and then parenting has been very different. And then once we kind of accrued all of our children after about 12 years of hard work via 
doctors and lawyers and paperwork, (laughs) we kind of thought, okay, well, that was hard, but now the fun begins. And then we encountered a season that I call label palooza when I found myself sitting across from teachers and specialists and therapists giving me labels for some of my kids and realized that parenting was going to look different than I thought it was. And so that kind of set me on this journey of how to figure out how to lighten up and how to have fun in the midst of the hard stuff. Cause the hard stuff was just kind of always going to be with us. So, so that was kind of how the premise of the book came to be. It is, it's my fourth book. All four of my books are within kind of the personal growth category, I'd say, but this is my, and I, and I've always talked about parenting, but this is my first full on parenting book. And I was like, if I was going to write a parenting book, the one thing that I have learned over the last decade and a half or whatever is really how to calm the heck down, like whatever life throws at you. And so that was the the big thing that I wanted to be able to pass on to other parents. All of my tips and tricks and strategies that we figured out, as well as just a lot of really funny stories from the archives. So yeah, that's, that's how it happened. I'm, I live in the Atlanta area. I've been married to my college sweetheart for tw- 20 years. We're celebrating 21 pretty soon. And yeah, I, I'm a writer by day. I also do a little screenwriting, kind of a new thing in my life, which is fun. I've gotten to write a little bit for the TV show Creep Show. So that's been fun. But yeah, pretty much just spend all day in my basement on my computer. I love it. I love it so much. So it's funny because I obviously wasn't seeking out, I wasn't reading a lot of parenting books and I wasn't looking for what would be the parenting book I would want to bring on this show. But when I read your book, I think this is the parenting book I would want to bring on this show. (laughs) And it's because something you just talked about, which is the focus for you, calm the heck down. So much of this show's episodes are about health and diet and fitness and lifestyle. But the thing that I think is honestly most important in the end is the mindset surrounding everything and maintaining that sense of calm and dealing with stress. And I just think that is so important. And that's, you know, a through line throughout your book. And so I think if I were to be a parent, just knowing myself and knowing how I act with everything, I tend to go crazy with research and information overload. And I think probably the thing I would struggle with the most would be wanting to do everything perfectly. And I can just foresee a lot of stress. (laughs) So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and expectations versus reality. And Yeah. And I think that's so normal. I mean, I did not write a book called Stay Calm because I very rarely start from a place of calm. There are people out there who are these amazing unicorns who are just naturally calm people, but I am not that. Like I have had to learn to work on how to calm the heck down. And so I do think most of us tend to approach parenting or or get caught up in parenting and we can get freaked out. I I've gotten to, you know, pre-COVID, I've gotten I got to go around the country and talk to different groups of parents around the country and all of us had that in common where we were all freaking out about something. <laughs> so that's really really normal and common and and so I mean definitely when we go into parenting, I think we we think it's going to go a certain way and we we have you know, the best hopes and dreams for how we think we're going to parent. And at least for me, I was highly disappointed in myself. I was like, whoa, I am not as good at this as I thought I was going to be. So early on, I had to learn to adjust my expectations on what I thought parenting was going to look like and how I thought I was going to be as a mom. And so I do think that lowering our expectations and, and, and mourning our expectations has been really important. You know, 
mourning our expectations for how we thought parenting was going to look and how we thought we were going to be as a parent, that's really important because that then frees us up to embrace the parenting we actually have, <laughs> you know, to, to, you know, if you mourn the unicorn kids who never did anything wrong, you can, you can mourn those fake children that never existed. And that frees you up to then absolutely love the incredible unique kids that you actually have. I do think expectation management is a huge first step to figuring out how to calm down. So does that apply to absolutely everything or are there certain non-negotiables when you're raising kids where it is really important to do things a certain way? Where should you focus on how, I don't like using the word perfect, but how perfectly you should be doing different things? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I definitely think, you know, for each family, you have your non-negotiables. You you have the things that aren't going to go away. I have some kids with some special needs and there are certain things in our lives that are non-negotiables. We have to have them. And so what what has really helped me is being able to let go of everything else. So those non-negotiables that are going to be your your super important things, that's what you want to spend your time and attention and focus on. And you can let go of the other things that are maybe draining you that you don't actually have to have. So and I I think, you know, parenting here in a pandemic now, that has been especially true of, you know, the things, the things that we have to have versus the things that we don't really have to worry about right now. That, and that's, that's been really big. I, I like to separate out what I can and can't control and focus on the things I can control because you can't control everything, especially as, as you know, we've seen in the last year that there's so much out of our control. And if I focus on trying to control the things that I'll never be able to control, I'll drive myself bananas. Whereas if I focus on the things that I can control, then that frees me up to be able to be a little bit calmer and feel like I, I have things that I can do. For instance, as things were shutting down, I could not control whether or not my kids had their sports, their activities. I, I had no control over that. And it was really hard. The kids were looking to me like what's going on with their lives. I had no answers, but what I could control was whether or not my kids got exercise. And so I began to let go of what I can't control. I, I can't control our city league soccer. I can't control the swim team, you know, but I can control whether or not my kids get exercise. So all of a sudden I'm doing yoga with my youngest. I'm going on walks with my oldest. I'm making my middle child go on bike rides. So that that allowed me to feel like there is some control. There are some things that we can work on even when we're letting other stuff go. I love that so much. And that actually taps into two different questions that I had from listeners. You already touched on it. So like with your kids, have you found that you have to have different parenting styles for the different kids? So Deb, for example, she said, how do you balance different parenting styles, such as adapting the needs to meet ADHD kids versus being overly militaristic or being rigid. Have you found with your own kids that you have to have different parenting styles for the different types of kids? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have three kids. They're not biologically related. They have very little in common and I parent them each very differently. And I tell them that like, Hey, what I did for one of you, I may not do for the other one. You know, I treat them all fairly. I treat them all equally, but I'm going to parent them differently because different tactics work for different kids. So I might have one kid who doesn't have a hard time getting the schoolwork done. And I might have another kid where schoolwork's got to be the first thing. And I've got to dangle that carrot to make sure they get it done, you know, and, and that goes for privileges as well. Like some kids have the responsibility to be able to take on things earlier than others. Others need a little more time to develop before they can do the thing that they want to do. So whatever it is, I, I definitely think 
treating our kids, you know, and, and really having individualized attention to each kid. You know, that's true in the schools where kids have an individualized education plan sometimes. So I think it could be true in our homes as well, where we have individual individualized parenting plans if we need to, depending upon the needs of our kids. And my kids know that. And so we, we're really open about with them. Actually, that's so perfect because Deb's follow-up question, actually, I don't know, it might be the same Deb. It might've been a different Deb. Hi, Deb. <laughs> I know. Hi, Deb or Debs. She was wondering about age-appropriate chores and age-appropriate activities for independence. She said, for example, riding a bike alone in the neighborhood or playing unattended in the yard or playing on the iPad unsupervised. One of the things I found really interesting in your book that ties into this was you did talk about our perception of safety today and how we feel like the world is less safe, but it's actually more safe. So that's a few different topics, but the age appropriate chores and activities, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I have in the book, I talk about the boomerang method. I basically look at parenting as treating my kids like boomerangs. That does not mean I'm throwing my children, <laughs> but this, this idea when you, when you have a boomerang and you, you throw it out and it comes back to you and you toss it back out and it comes back to you. And so that is when I'm thinking about my kids and what they are ready for and what they're able to do. Maybe it's, you know, riding their bike down the street. It applies to young children as well as once they get into the teen years. And so, you know, they want to be able to ride their bike down the street. So you, you say, okay, well, we're going to try that. Go, you know, go halfway and can you, can you get there and come back to me safely and on time? And so what I'm looking for with the boomerang is, are they going where they say they're going to go? Are they coming back when they say they're going to come back? And so whatever that is, whether it's riding your bike or for the teen years when I'm handing them the keys and I'm going, okay, are you going to go where you say you're going to go? Are you going to come back when you say you're going to come back? And so if the boomerang comes back and, and does great with that, then, you know, the next time, maybe it's a little further, maybe the next time it's a little further than that. And you treat each kid differently. So each boomerang is going to have a different trip, right? But if the boomerang takes a side trip or the boomerang doesn't come back, then that's when you know you need to tighten up and work on reestablishing trust, work on reestablishing responsibility. So whenever my kids are asking me for a privilege or an opportunity to do something, that's kind of what I'm in the back of my mind. Like, well, where are we with this boomerang? Like, have I been able to trust them in smaller things or do we still need to work on the small things before we move to the big things? So that's what I would say about responsibilities. And then as for chores, I love chores. I I don't personally like doing them, but I really love assigning them to my children for sure. Um, and I would say start the earlier, the better, because when kids are little, they don't even realize that it's like work that no one wants to do. Usually when little kids are happy to like help you sweep next to you, or if I hand them you know, some of the plastic dishes from the top rack of the dishwasher and say, Hey, go put those away in those drawers over there. You know, so, so have, even when they're small, be teaching them how to do, do chores alongside you. I used to just like have my kids sort the laundry, you know, like here are 60 different socks, practice matching them, you know? So it's great. It teaches the little kids how to match. You get your socks sorted. <laughs> it, that's a whole afternoon's activity right there sometimes. But then as the kids get older, you can increase the responsibility of what chores they have. And, and I break chores out into different categories. Some of the chores are just their standard daily or weekly chores that they're doing that they know they're responsible for. And then sometimes there's just like the drive-by chore, like, Hey, you're standing there with nothing to do. I need help with this. My son is awesome at that. He's the, he's the kid who like, if I come in from the grocery store, he's like, do you need help with those bags? And I'm like, okay, you're amazing. All right. Oh, way to butter me up. What do you need? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> so, you know, 
as they get older and stronger, they're able to do more. My son can now take out the garbage, you know, and he's, he's tall and he has big muscles and he can like lug these big bags and it's awesome. And so just as the kids get older, you can entrust more to them. And a lot of times if they want something that they want to go out with their friends or, or they want to have screen time or whatever it is, like you can sneak a chore in there first, like, Hey, do this, this, and this, and, and then you can have what you want. We do chores every day around here, and then we we have usually a little list on Saturday morning they have to get through. My kids do their own laundry. They've been doing their own laundry since since really as soon as they're tall enough to reach the laundry, then they're doing their own laundry. And even before then, they might be helping me put the laundry away or helping me fold the laundry. I hate laundry, so the sooner I can get them to help out with their own clothes, the better. I love that. I love reframing it as fun. And even me thinking back on my childhood, I feel like the first time my mom taught me how to do different chores, it was always really exciting. (laughs) It was like learning something new. I loved how you said in the book that didn't you give one of your children for Christmas, like a a vacuum cleaner or something? A singing broom. I gave him a singing, Elliot got a singing broom and dustbin for Christmas one year. He thought it was super cool. And so did I. I love that. It's incredible. You know, chores, and, and I will say we, so we have like our standard ones, but then also if they needed, if they need to earn extra money, like if they want to save up for something, then I have a whole list of chores and, and varying, you know, amounts of money they can earn if they want extra money. So if they're like, there's a video game that they want, or they want to go get a new lip gloss or whatever it is, well, here, here's a list of chores to do, and then I'll pay you for that. So I, I think the idea that work is valuable and, and that we all contribute to the family is really important. So not sometimes when things are not going well around here, because it is not perfect around here at all. <laughs> We've learned everything in the book the hard way, you guys. But you know, sometimes I can start to be like, mommy is not a house elf. I am not Dobby or someone give me a sock. I would like to be set free. <laughs> so I, I make Harry Potter jokes, but I do always just want to remind everyone that we are a family that pitches in. We all want to pitch in. We all, we, it takes all of us to make this house go around because there are five of us here. And if we don't all pitch in, it begins, I mean, it begins to get a little crazy around here. So we have to all hold up our end in order to keep the house going. I love it. I love it. And then also while we're still in the the safety topic, so I feel like you and I have very similar tastes in movies. And one of the things I loved in your book was the constant reference to movies and how you actually engage with movies with your children, which this was completely different from how I was raised with movies. And I really liked your approach, in particular, like how you would use horror movies to teach about safety in the world. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you handle movies with children, especially things like age-appropriate content and discussion of that and movies. Yeah. And I'm probably a little more lenient than other people. You know, it, it totally is up to your own family values and what you're okay with in your own family. And that's going to be different for each family. As my kids have become teenagers, I've really loved to embrace horror movies, especially my son is really into them. So it's so fun to watch things with him. When I'm not sure, especially for my youngest kid and when my kids were younger, when I'm not sure about the content of a movie, I love Common Sense Media. You can just Google Common Sense Media whenever you have a question about either a book or a movie. And it breaks down all of the main movies that, and it'll break down exactly what's in there. It'll tell me like where every boob scene is in a rated R movie or like every every gory detail about, you know, it'll break down what kind of violence. And so if you're not, if you're ever not sure about a movie with your kids, 
that has been a great resource. And then as far as the content of movies, even, even when there are some things in movies that I'm a little iffy about, I like to do kind of a, a post-movie breakdown with the kids. Like, well, we're going to watch this together, but then we're going to talk about it. An example would be early on, my, my son loves to read. And so he read the Hunger Games books when he was really young. And then I let him watch the movies. We watch the movies together. And I love the Hunger Games. But for a young child, I think it's important to have those conversations of like, hey, violence is not okay. Like these kids are killing each other. Why is that bad? Let's talk about the ramifications of that and the society that that they're living in and what led to that and why that's bad. And rather than just like, yeah, we celebrate violence. Like, So I think there are some really cool conversations that you can have with kids as they're, they're figuring out their worldview with even the most unexpected of movies. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives, dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, 
low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with dry farm wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try dry farm wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. So I love Harry Potter as well, but my mom, I remember when Harry Potter first came out, my mom gave me the book and she was like, here, everybody, like you can read this. Everybody's reading it. And then there was all the controversy and she took it away. Like after I started reading it and then it took me a few years to be able to read it again. I just thought that was a really, really smart approach about the the discussion of the content and learning from it because that wasn't like how I was raised. And I think I personally probably would have really benefited from that. Also in the world of movies and activities, this is a topic that I do talk about a lot on this show, and that is social media. And I can't even imagine, because social media when I grew up wasn't really a thing. So I can't even imagine now being a kid with social media, especially like at school. I mean, I feel like with clicks and everything, that was intense enough without social media. So I can't even imagine existing in that world now. So how do you handle that with your kids? Yeah, it's, it is a lot and it can be very freaky. And so in order for me to be able to calm down about the social media, we have gone slowly with it. You know, it's not all or nothing. And that's what I keep telling people is that you don't just hand your kid a smartphone and go, here are all the apps in the world. Here's the unopened internet for your browsing pleasure. <laughs> I, I like my kids having smartphones because it's kind of like mini Lojacks. Like you can find them in the Life360 app. You can find them anywhere they are. You can tell if they are going where they say they're going to go. Especially, you know, when you have older kids, when you've got teenagers who are off on their own, I love being able to know where they are. And so, I do like them having that resource. I like to be able to reach them. I like for them to be able to reach me if they need me. So, so it's great. And, and we, you know, everyone is different. We have given our kids smartphones right before they go to middle school, but they keep them in their lockers. The middle school has a rule that the kids can't have them in classes. So there's a little bit of a protection there that the school provides. So they keep them in their lockers all day. And then we set time limits on our kids' social media and their phones in general. So they have only a certain amount of time per day. And when they use that time up, that app shuts down. So part of the problem is just the the unlimited time that the kids can be on it. They can get into trouble and you know a lot of drama and, and social media. It, social media makes me feel bad sometimes and I'm a grown adult. And so having limits in place is helpful. We, we didn't allow social media for a long time. I think our daughter got her first social media app maybe like halfway through eighth grade or beginning in ninth grade. And and we we let her have the first app and we gave her three rules. We said no swears, no slurs, no sexiness. <laughs> so, you know, just the general, we like you're about to start creating a digital footprint for yourself. And so future employers will see this and, and friends will see this and and human beings will see this. And so we want to make sure that you're behaving yourself. And so, you know, everything is a locked account, first of all, but we, we explain like anyone can screenshot anything, you know? So when you put something out there, you can't take it back. No swears. So let's don't like, 
crazy with the swearing on social media and no slurs. Like, let's be kind. Let's make sure that we are not participating in anything that is hurting someone else and no sexiness. Like, let's don't, let's don't have like the sexy, you know, in your bed pictures posted online. (laughs) Let's avoid that. And so those were kind of our rules. And we said, if you don't follow our rules, we're going to take it away. And sure enough, that did happen. Like we had to follow through on that and, and shut the account down because there were just a few times that she just didn't follow the rules. And so we're like, we needed her to know, like, we mean business. Like, We need you to learn how to do social media in a healthy way. And so we had a reboot where we took it away. We kind of, the boomerang idea, you know, the boomerang didn't, didn't go where it was supposed to go. And so we, we came back, we reestablished trust and we, we set her back out there again. And so she has a few different social media apps now, and we do not drive ourselves insane by checking on them constantly, but we do just once in a while, just give a check and make sure like, what's your digital footprint look like? Are you, are you doing okay? Like, do you, does this look okay out there? Are you putting out good things into the world rather than negative things into the world? So, so I would say it can be really scary, but it doesn't have to be. And you can go slowly and take it one app at a time. And each kid is going to be different. So again, if you're treating each kid a little differently, it just depends on when they are ready. And, and some kids might not be ready for a while. Yeah. That was one of the things I hadn't considered was the value of being able to track your kids wherever they are with the location, with the the devices. You were speaking about the rules in general with rules. Do you err on the side of more or less rules? I know you talk about simple rules in your book. Rules. Yeah. I, I, I generally, I try to focus on one thing at a time, especially when the kids are little. Focusing on one thing at a time helps them learn the one thing. So figure out like what's the most important thing right now that we need to be working on and focus on that. That has been really beneficial for us. For instance, one of my kids is an arguer. And so it's obey the first time, obey the first time, obey the first time. And that is the thing that we say over and over again. And um, and we keep our words short. Alex, my husband and I, we're both really wordy people. <laughs> We love to talk. We love to hear ourselves talk. We can get into like lecture mode and just go on. And so we've really, we're try, we've tried to train ourselves to keep those words short, especially when they're younger and just focus on like tapes that you can repeat. So obey the first time is an example of that. And, and that just cues their brain like, oh, I'm not supposed to argue right now. I'm supposed to do the thing that mom just asked me to do. And then once they get that down, then, then you can kind of move on to the next thing. So I've noticed with my small children and as my kids are now teenagers, I've noticed that when I'm throwing a ton of stuff at them, they like short circuit and freak out on me. And so if I just keep my words small and I focus on one thing at one time, it helps them process what I'm asking of them and it keeps us calm. Also tying into that, as far as like words and the importance of, this will make sense, where you're putting the importance of things. I know for me personally, I feel like different families and parents often will emphasize like what are non-negotiables of things you should just never do. And for my family growing up, like the one thing that was just no, like you never ever do this was lie. I reflected on that a lot. And then I found it really interesting because you talked about the importance of not lying in the book. And I think that value, at least for me, is so important in how I see the world. Because I think having that, you know, even if it's like a white light, like just lying is just a no. And I think honesty and trust is just so important. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on lying. 
Yeah. As the kids have gotten older, especially, we do tend to have more conversations rather than just hard and fast rules. We do have some rules, but but we do try to just approach each kid and have conversations about whatever it is. And we, we tell them that lying is the worst thing you can do because that breaks the relationship. Now, my kids still lie. Like, unfortunately, it happens all the time. And in fact, one of my children just garnered themselves a worse punishment because they lied on top of the first thing that they did. Like, and, and this has happened several times where they do the thing and then they lie to try to get out of it. And then we catch them in that. And the punishment is so much worse than if they had just come clean to begin with. So we, we also really try to emphasize like your integrity is the most important thing. You're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes, but we've got to come clean about it and admit it instead of trying to cover it up or lie about it. Deception is, is the worst. It's a work in progress here. I'll tell you like it, it definitely is a work in progress. And some kids I think are more wired to truthfulness than others. And so, you know, so for some, it doesn't take very much to get them to be truthful. And for others, it, it's a little bit more of a journey. That part just really, really resonated with me. And after this, I'm going to call my mom and be like, thank you, mom, for always <laughs> emphasizing that. And in fact, it, my kids are learning because there have been several times, I've, and I've even noticed it in the last, there have been a few conversations in the last couple of weeks where I noticed like, ah, they just came clean. Like they, they just admitted the mess up and I, I go, okay, thank you for your honesty and we can move on. So when, when I do catch my kids being honest, I really try to acknowledge that like awesome job being honest. I really appreciate your honesty. I know that was hard for you to admit, and I'm so proud of you for doing it. I think we see in the world today, we just see how people react when they f- suspect they might be lied to. And I think it just goes back to the importance of what you just said, which is the relationship between people and the importance of a sense of integrity. When things are not going well, I have a lot of questions from listeners. For example, Megan, she just says she wants to know how to not flip out on my kids. <laughs> Sarah says, especially right now when I am home all day, every day with my kids, how can I deal with the constant mess or clutter? I end up at my wits end by six o'clock, which makes the evening not much fun. How do I help them feel loved? So what do you do when it just feels like a lot with kids? Yeah, it's okay to put yourself in timeout. Sometimes, especially because we've all been on top of each other for so long under really difficult circumstances, it's okay to put yourself in timeout. And so sometimes I just have to say, mommy needs a timeout and, and just take a minute. And depending on how old your children is where that timeout can be. (laughs) If they're little, they may still be clinging to your legs while that's happening. But if they're a little older, you can shut yourself in the bathroom for a few minutes. My kids are old enough that I can go actually take like a 30 minute bath and just stop and reboot and reset. Or if your kids are little, do that after they go to bed or during nap time. But I think we have to figure out how to say yes to ourselves. That's on a daily basis. That's not just like once a month or whatever, but how can you say yes to yourself every day? Something small that you can do for yourself to help manage your sanity and your emotions in the middle of all this, because it is challenging. There's an acronym I'll share with you, Melanie, that I've been doing since the beginning of the pandemic that has really helped me just stay. I, I struggle with feeling gracious towards the people in my home right now because we're all on top of each other and and giving myself grace. And so my acronym is actually GRACE and it stands for gratitude, read, adapt, create, and engage. And so it's just a five-point thing that I run through every day for myself to make sure that I'm doing these five things. And that has helped me, I think, when I feel like I'm going to 
freak out. So with gratitude, like even in the midst of the hard things, when everything feels like it's falling apart, what are you grateful for? I, I actually did this this morning. I was working out and I was really mad at one of my kids, like so mad at one of my kids. And I just started going, what am I grateful about with this child? What do I like about this child? <laughs> Let's focus on the positive here as I'm ready to kill this child. So gratitude, what are you grateful for? Read rather than just doom scrolling all of the bad news every day. Let's make sure we're reading a good book as well. Adapt. Let's celebrate how we're adapting every day. There's a new way to adapt. I mean, I feel like every week I'm getting a new email from the schools telling me there's a new version of how we're doing school now. <laughs> and um, and that's been really challenging. And, and so there's lots to adapt to. And so I want to celebrate that create. I want to make sure I'm creating. For me, that's my writing time, but also sometimes it's trying a new recipe, doing something fun in the kitchen, whatever whatever makes you happy with creating. And then engage, engaging with our friends, engaging with maybe our neighbors, shouting across the yard, social distance, or a Zoom call with family or whatever that looks like. Um, engage your community and serve people in need. And so those are some things that have helped me when I'm, when I'm consistently doing that entire acronym on kind of a daily basis, that has helped me calm down a little bit in the midst of all of this hard stuff. You know, I think we we have to celebrate the wins with our families that sometimes we can get really caught up in the losses, the, the, the struggles we're having with our kids, the struggles we're having to parent, the frustrations. And so I do want to make sure I'm taking time to celebrate the wins. And sometimes that happens around our dinner table where we go around and we're like, okay, what were the wins for the day? Like some people say like highs and lows, you know, it's just what's working right now. What are some things to celebrate rather than thinking about, especially, especially during this pandemic, rather than thinking like, this is going to be awesome. We're having an awesome year. Like, I think we were all like, yay, 2021. And we're like, oh no, it's the same as 2020. <laughs> Shoot. But yeah, I'm, I try to focus on collecting mental snapshots of happy moments rather than this is all going to be awesome, or this is all going to be horrible. It's usually somewhere in between. And so whenever something, you know, those moments where it might be chaos around you and everything's falling apart, but there's like that moment, maybe like one of your kids throws an arm around the other kid and they like side hug for a second. And I'm just like, click mental snapshot. Like that was beautiful. Finding those happy moments, those, those mental snapshots. And I kind of like just create a bank in my mind. Um, I think laughter makes us brave. Laughing is so important. And so I want to cultivate a home filled with laughter. And so I actually have, have a list on my phone just in the notes section. And I, I keep a list of things that make me laugh. So then when I hit a, hit a day where nothing is making me laugh, I can go to my list and go, well, what's made me laugh in the past? And I want to make sure that we're laughing, that I'm teaching my kids to laugh, that I'm laughing at myself. I'm teaching my kids to laugh at themselves, that we don't take ourselves too seriously. So those are some things that, that help me when I feel like everything is falling apart. <laughs> One of the facts, or yeah, I guess it's a fact that has stuck with me ever since I heard it was that our brain literally cannot be in a state of fear and in a state of gratitude at the same time. Like it can't, it just can't be in both. So you can instantly turn off fear and anxiety with the power of gratitude and I love that idea about a laughter list. I have like gratitude lists, but I'm, I'm going to start doing that. That is brilliant. Brilliant. I have a gratitude list too. And I'm like, I should have a laughter list. I mean, one of the things on my list, Melanie, is I was out walking on, you know, I, I live in a city that has golf cart paths everywhere. So I go running and walking on these paths that, you know, people like tool along on their little golf carts. And so I was out on the golf cart path and this man passes me on this. It looked like a rocket powered 
skateboard and he had like, he looked like the flash. He had on like his shiny helmet. He was like probably a man in his sixties or seventies. And he was like, had on all this shiny armor and this fancy skate thing. And he was like laughing and like, wee, just, I was like, good for you. That it was like during lockdown when, you know, you couldn't go inside anywhere. And I was like, he is just living his best life right now. And so it's not, and and it happened months ago, but it's on my laughter list. So I'll read it every now and then. And like, remember this man in his shiny armor (laughs) on the golf cart path in a skateboard. And I was like, you're so cool. Actually, speaking of laughter, just to give listeners an idea of the hysterical stories that you tell in your book and how it will bring laughter. Could you just tell the st- tell the story about the golf cart with the the kid that stole the golf cart? Oh my gosh, yeah, happy to. When we first moved, we moved here from Washington D.C. So we live in the Atlanta area now. We moved. My husband's from Michigan. I'm from the Cleveland area. I'm from Ohio, and so we're Northerners, and we kind of worked our way down the the country. So then we, we were in DC for about eight years and then we ended up in the Atlanta area and we love it down here, but we were brand new Southerners. And so we, and we got our golf cart and we had our like new little baby. We were new parents in a new part of the country. And we took our golf cart out one night and we came across this boy who was in need of help on the golf cart path and his golf cart wouldn't work. And so we stopped and my husband was like, are you okay? And can we help you? And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. And we're like, no, we'll help you. Let us help you. Like we wanted to be like friendly. We were in the suburbs now. Like we weren't, we were going to be friendly people. That's what people did in the suburbs. We were sure of it. And so we got out of our cart and my husband like helped him wheel this golf cart down the golf cart path. And it's like late at night. And, and he's like, what happened to your key? And the kid was like, I lost the key. We were like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Well, let's wheel this back to where you live. So they're like wheeling it. And I'm like following in our golf cart and they're wheeling it, pushing it into this neighborhood. And, and my husband looks down and he's like, what happened to your shoe? And the kid is missing a shoe. He's like, Oh, I lost my shoe. We're like, Oh, this poor boy. Like what a difficult time you're having. No key, no shoe. And, and we got him pushed up into his, into his neighborhood, had the golf cart. We're like, all right. He's like, thank you. And he, you could tell he was like ready to ditch us. And we're like, okay, well, no problem. We're just like your new friendly neighbors in the suburbs. We're doing awesome. And so we got back on the golf, our golf cart and we're driving home and, and we're like, well, there's his shoe. And we found it. And so we like drove it back and we went back to the neighborhood and he like jumped and was like, that gave us this look like you're back. Oh my gosh, why are you back? And we're like, we found your shoe. He's like, thank you. And then we left and we're like, what would even make him lose a shoe and not go back for it? How come he wouldn't have a key to this golf cart? And we drove home and we're like, honey, I think we just helped him steal a golf cart. <laughs> we aided and abetted. We were like here for like a month and we'd already aided and abetted in crime and we didn't even mean to. Yeah, we were just trying to be nice. <laughs> Dying laughing, helping the child steal the golf cart. Yeah, yeah. So whenever my teenagers are doing crazy things, I'm like, well, we helped one teenager steal a golf cart, so we're not that much better. I love it. I think I'm going to add that story to my laughter list. (laughs) It's so funny. So one more question while we're talking about reacting to kids or how kids might be acting. I had some listeners from questions about how to know how to react to kids because I'll just read the question. You'll see. Um, For example, Sarah said, how do you tell the difference between attention seeking and actually needing help? 
My daughter is seven and she can be stubborn, demanding, and always trying to get us to do things for her. Sometimes she says things that I think she's saying just to get attention, but then I'm never sure if I should take them more seriously. I don't want her to think I don't care if there's really a problem, but I also don't want to indulge her if she's trying to be manipulative. And then pretty similar to this was Dee Dee said, how are you patient with the constant criticism and mood shifts? I struggle knowing when to help and when to hug. Sometimes she just wants me to sit there with her while she's in pain. And I struggle with that. My mind naturally wants to do stuff to help or to do something to ease my pain that I can't ease hers. So I guess those are are two different questions. But as far as like interpreting kids, you know, how they're acting, when they need help, how to engage with them, what is the, the guidance there? Oh my gosh. I mean, we are we are right in that. Like we have a kid who is very dramatic and has a lot of big feelings. And and so I so understand what you're saying about whether or not what is it when do, when do they need attention versus when do you need to be with them? I, I yes, I we we deal with that as well. And I would say there are several things that I do. I always want to let my kids know that it's okay to feel that way, like validate their feelings. It's okay to feel that way. And, and if it's, if they're, they're having a, a bad feeling, like if it's, you know, fear or anger or whatever, like you're in a safe place, it's okay to feel that way. You're in a safe place. So those are regular tapes that I say to my kids. Sometimes when it's a problem they're having, I kind of put it back on them. Like, how are you going to solve that? And I want to kind of think of it as being their guide, not their sidekick. And then a lot of times it's just a physical need that needs to be met. So sometimes if a kid is having, having big feelings, drinking a glass of water or giving them a snack or having them do jumping jacks, or we would have our kids run laps around the house a few times to just reset their brain. Sometimes that helps or like a big, strong hug, just something to reset their brain. Sometimes a physical need helps with those big feelings. And and then with my daughter, with the feelings that are very large and very constant, I, I want to validate the feelings. I want to be there for her with the feelings, but then I have to say, okay, you can keep having those feelings. I'm going to wrap you up in a big fuzzy blanket. I'm going to give you a big hug. You can be right here sitting near me, but now I have work to do. So I'm going to go back to work. You can still have those feelings right there. And, and I'm there for you and, and hold yourself in that big fuzzy blanket. And I love you so much, but now I'm going to go get dinner ready, or I'm going to go sit at my computer or whatever it is. And so there does come a point where like, I'm done. (laughs) And so I think it is about validating the feelings and not like not ignoring them or not belittling the feelings. Cause some, some kids just are big feelers. So validate them, but then it's okay to then like wrap them up in a, like a blanket burrito or give them meet a physical need, give them a snack, give them a glass of water, whatever it is, and then go do what you need to do too. You don't have to sit there for hours with them just in their daily, daily drama, but yeah, be their guide, not their sidekick. Like I always think about like, I'm going to throw them a rope and help them climb out of the pit, but I'm not getting down in the pit with them because, or, and, and I tell my kids all the time, like, well, I've already done fifth grade or I've already done seventh grade. Like these are their problems and, and I'm not going to have the problems too, but I'm going to be there for them and support them while they have the problems. Yeah. And also in the world of feelings, one of the most valuable things in my personal life is having a therapist. And I think it's really funny because I just think it's completely normal to have a therapist. I was in LA for like 10 years and I feel like it was pretty normal there, but I feel like here in Atlanta, I feel like sometimes I'll mention my therapist and you still get like a slightly nuanced reaction where that seems like a weird thing to have a therapist. Like, oh, you must have problems if you have a therapist. You talk about the role of therapists, not only in parents' lives, but also with your kids as well. So what are your thoughts on therapy? 
several of us have therapists and we've been in therapy for a long time and I love therapy. And if there's one thing I can do, it's to normalize therapy, both for us as parents and for our kids. It's so good. It's so healthy. And so I do have therapists for several of my children and and a lot of the calm down strategies that we have learned from years and years of therapy are in the book because I was like, I got to pass this stuff on. It's really helpful. And so, you know, I, I am not naturally wired to being great at feeling stuff. I, I have a hard time connecting with my own feelings. So when my kids have big feelings, that's hard for me. So therapy has been so invaluable, a safe place for them to go to process their feelings, for them to learn strategies for behaviors. It's been key. And then for me to go to my therapist and be able to just like let it all out there has been one of the most important things that we've done for our family. So I definitely encourage therapy. And and I wish that everyone could have the access to therapy that we do, because I know that's a privilege and not everyone has that. But I definitely encourage, especially if your kid is having big feelings and and having struggles, you know, if, if there's any childhood trauma or or if they just are empath- empathic and they just have a lot of feelings, like or for any reason at all, if they're struggling with anger or if they're really worried or anxious, like for any reason, getting your kid into therapy is so great. And we've done all kinds of therapy. When the kids have been little, they've done a lot of play therapy. They just feel like they're going and they're playing and having fun and it's fantastic. And then, you know, now that we have teenagers, just talk therapy and having someone that they can go to as a resource has been really helpful. EMDR therapy has been really huge for several of us, which I'm not even going to try to explain it because I'm not a scientist, but, but EMDR, if you have any kind of trauma in your background that you need to process, that has been invaluable for us. So I highly recommend therapy. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, as a family, you know, we learned in our training to become adoptive parents, we learned that love is not enough, you know, love is wonderful and love is important, but sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes there's other things going on. There's more than, than love can conquer. And we have tools and resources. And if our bodies are sick, we take them to the doctor. If our kid gets sick, we take them to the pediatrician. And so if our feelings are sick, or if, if we are struggling with stuff in our brain and our emotions, then we should be able to take those to a doctor too and get the help and the strategies that we need to be healthy and thrive. So I'm a big fan. Yeah. I will join you on that mission to normalize because <laughs> there is a stigma around it still, I feel. And I just think it's so valuable. And I will just say for listeners, two things. One is that if you haven't done therapy before, sometimes it can be hard to find the therapist that you really like connect with. So if you have like a, a not so ideal first therapy experience, like keep looking <laughs> until you find the therapist that works well with you. And also if people haven't done therapy, it's often covered on a lot of insurance plans. People might not realize that. So I, I worked hard to find therapists within our insurance. And that is that, I mean, that's a privilege and we are very grateful for that <laughs> for sure. It's great. Therapy is good. Also in that world, one of the things I work on a lot with my own therapist is body image and like being a female and body image. How do you handle, because I love what all you were saying about, especially when it comes to raising girls. And I think there's such a complicated relationship that girls often have with their bodies. And how do you feel about, you know, telling girls that they're pretty or I I just feel like there's a lot there. (laughs) I definitely feel like sometimes 
if I read all the blogs and, and I, ha I mean, I started as a blogger. I love blogs, but, but like, if I read all of them, I can feel like I can't say anything because it'll be like, don't tell a girl she's beautiful. Don't, you know, I'm like, but ah, shoot. And I'll be afraid to say anything. And so I, I think there's a balance. Um, I mean, I, my kid, my girls want to know that they're beautiful. Like my girls want to hear that. They ask me, mommy, am I pretty? Mommy, am I beautiful? I obviously want to validate them and tell them they're beautiful. I just don't want to stop there. You know, I also want to ask them, what books are you reading? And, you know, I want, I want to develop their minds as well. And you're not just beautiful. You have all these other things too. So I think maybe rather than an either, or it's a both and, and, and with body image, I've really focused from when the girls were little till now is on rather than the shape that you are focusing on being strong and healthy. You know, I am not biologically related to my girls. All three of us have very different body types. And so I don't want to focus on one body type being better or worse than another body type. I just want to focus on, are you strong? Are you healthy? Like you're so, you're getting so strong rather than like, you're so big. No, you're, you're so strong and you're so healthy or rather than you're so little. Are you strong? Are you eating healthy foods? Are you drinking enough water? I have a teen and a tween girl now and, and body image is a whole thing. And, and even when they are talking about things that they're seeing on Instagram or on TV or whatever, I really want to be careful that and teach my kids no fat shaming. Like, so if anybody snickers about the way someone looks like that, we, we process that and go, here's why that's not okay. And we don't ever want to, to judge somebody based on, on what they look like. And we want to be kind and we want to be kind to ourselves as well. And so it's, it's a process of, of teaching them that, you know, and, and then you send them to school and somebody says something mean and, and it's just layer upon layer of teaching them to love themselves. And, and that really starts with loving yourself. Like I, I have to do the work to love myself so that my girls see that I love myself and that I'm confident and that whatever body image issues I've had, that I have done the work there. I have a history of an eating disorder and that was very challenging for me. And I've been in recovery for a really long time and I want to pass healthy things onto my girls, not all of the unhealthy thoughts and patterns that I had growing up. I love hearing the content of everything that you just said, as far as, you know, not the, not the either or and bringing in the health, which actually goes into a huge topic that we do talk about a lot on this show and which I got a lot of questions from listeners about, and that is how to handle diet and food and eating with kids. So Emmy says, how do I teach kids healthy foods without making them have a weird relationship with food? Dana said, I asked, this was in Facebook, so people could respond to each other. So Dana said, I'm struggling with this too. My eight-year-old daughter is 20 pounds overweight, and I'm trying to teach her about health and good eating habits without giving her a complex about her weight or body. And then Barbara said, how can we not destroy the natural intuitive eating? I battle with this a lot. I don't want to force my daughter to finish her plate or to eat when it's time to eat. But at the same time, I need to ensure she has a good substantial meal. Where is the balance? Do you have any tips? It is challenging. We've tried a whole lot of different things here. And so that's that's a, a struggle for so many people and us included. One thing that that I have tried to do, my kids want a snack all the time. And I try not to limit the snacking, but I try to swap out what the snacks are, if that makes sense. So no foods are bad. And so we eat sugar and we eat dessert and ice cream and and 
carbs. And, but I, I also want to make sure the kids are eating protein and vegetables and fruit. And for us, it's really more about balance than about one is bad and one is good. And so I tend to preach everything in moderation around here and teaching my kids that. And, and because my kids are all different, some of them struggle with that and some of them do not. And so everything in moderation, and I, I say that except for murder and heroin, which those things should just probably be avoided in general, um, <laughs> but everything in moderation. And so, you know, and, and my kids hear me say that all the time. And that goes for even the way that like Alex and I model alcohol, like that everything in moderation and, you know, for when, when they're of age. And, and so they see us doing everything in moderation where like, I might have a little chocolate, but I'm not going to eat like the entire bag of chocolate. And so if I have a kid who's snacking a whole lot, I'm like, that's great. You've had a good amount of carbs. Now I need you to get a veggie. And so like we, I make sure that I'm stocking things. Like we've got a lot of like grilled chicken and a lot of carrot sticks and a lot of apples and bananas, and just always making sure that they have a lot of options that they can grab and, and munch on. So it's not just all going to, cause if, I mean, I have a kid who would just only eat crackers all day long. And that's not healthy because you need protein and fruits and veggies. And so, so I guess the main things is, is teaching everything in moderation and having a variety of things. Crackers are great, but you've had some crackers. So now let's also have carrots or let's also have an apple or, Hey, I love that you're going to have a cookie. Those are delicious. You should totally do that before you have a cookie. I need you to eat this chicken strip. You know, like let's get some protein in there so that you don't get a tummy ache. And then the other thing that I've done that I think has helped my kids start to take ownership of their own choices as they got older is that I have them really check in with their bodies. Like, oh, you say your tummy hurts? Well, tell me what you've eaten over the last couple of hours. Ah, well, that might be why your stomach hurts right now. So helping them be little investigators of how food and their relationship to food affects their body so that that helps them then and be empowered to start making choices for themselves. I've really seen that in my son, especially he's a swimmer. He's a really good swimmer. And so he has these really big workouts that he has to do. And he was eating a whole lot of like dairy and all kinds of stuff right before workouts. And then like getting so sick during his workouts. And so he, kind of figured out like, I got to lay off of this stuff. And so he has changed up his diet based on how his body was feeling. And I just kind of got to provide the assist and buy him what he needed to make sure that he was running, running healthy. So anyway, I hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. And so when I have contemplated, if I ever were to have children, it's something I've thought a lot about just because I personally follow like I do a, a whole foods paleo type diet and I react really strongly to foods. And I feel, you already touched on this. I, I feel really strongly about not attaching morality to food at all. Like I, th I think that's a really slippery path and it gives food just really negative connotations and fear. I mean, that's how I ended up anorexic because every food, there was a rule against it. And I realized there were no foods that I could eat then. Like it was like, well, apparently all the foods are bad. So I'll just stop eating them. And so, yeah, I don't ever want people to feel like any food is bad. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF 
And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase Asana, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste.
and definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not
not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. 100%. And when I thought about it, I was like, I think this is what I would do if I had kids. And I love the moderation idea. And I also think that a lot of my listeners, some of them might feel more strongly about not even providing access, at least within the home to certain foods. So say a person does feel really strongly about certain foods being inflammatory, because I think what I would probably do, and again, I have no experience with parenting, so I just want to hear what you think about this. I think I would probably only have in the house the foods that, the whole anti-inflammatory foods that I feel would be the most nourishing for my children, but then I wouldn't have rules about they can't have these foods, you know, outside of the house. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, there I mean we all have trigger foods. I have a kid whose who, Nutella was the trigger food and and there was no once that jar was open, they weren't stopping until they were at the bottom of that jar. And so I just stopped buying Nutella cuz I was like that's easy. I mean, I'm putting the trigger food right there and then they feel sick to their stomach. Like there's no reason for me. I'm like enabling their pain right now. It's horrible. So yeah, like there are, there are things that, and then occasionally I would buy the little mini Nutella cup as like a treat that I would send in a lunch or something rather than like, here's the whole jar. And I expect you to just regulate yourself. No, like for sure. I think we can, we can save our kids from themselves. If there's a food that's especially triggering or or where they just can't say no to it and they're making themselves sick or eating too much, then we just take that out for sure. Yeah. I've had to do that with juice too. Like juice was a thing where it was just like, they were constantly drinking juice and it was just like pure sugar. And, and there wasn't just like, I'll have one glass. It was like, nope okay, they just drank the entire thing of juice. So we like, I got rid of the juice for a while and all of a sudden, oh, they're drinking more water because that's their only option. So yeah, yeah. Something similar to diet and just that it's something that we humans do every, well, hopefully we do every single day and it's super important in our health and that is sleep. So sleep both for the kids and for the parents. Deb, oh, this is this must be the same Deb. She must have had a lot of questions. She wanted to know about bedtime for sleep resistant kids, but then also for herself. How does she get me time and still get enough sleep? Dorothy wanted to know if you had any thoughts on sleep training, pros and cons to that. Sleep. Do you sleep? Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, I'm, I'm like perimenopause, so I don't sleep at all. Like it's a mess. <laughs> Women in their forties, good times. No. Okay. For my kids, once they learn to read and we're reading books on their own, my rule of thumb is you don't have to sleep. I'm not going to make you sleep, but you do have to be in your room quiet and you can read until you fall asleep. And that cut out the bedtime fighting. And most of the time I would come in later and find my kid with a book, like planted on their face asleep. And so like you can have the light on. I bought everybody a reading lamp and they could have the reading light on and they could read as long as they want. So I'm not forcing them to lay there in the dark and be wide awake. 
which did not work. It doesn't work for me. So it doesn't work for my kids either, but they could read and they could read as long as they want. And I have a kid who is a big time reader. And I mean, he read and read and read. As he's gotten older, I've been able to then go in and kind of negotiate like, dude, you got to go to bed because you have a test tomorrow and let's, let's knock it off. But, but reading as opposed to a hard and fast, like you have to be in your room by a certain amount of time in bed with a book, but I'm not going to force you to fall asleep because you can't force someone to fall asleep. So, so that's helped us with the bedtime situation. And, and that's helped us calm down about it actually, because it's not a fight then. Like I'm saying yes to staying up. Yes, you can stay up as long as you want, as long as you're in bed with a book. And if you get out of bed and you're bothering me while I'm having time with daddy, then no, <laughs> we're turning that light off. <laughs> and that has been really effective for all of my kids. And then with sleep training, like when they're babies, that did not super work for us, kind of. I would say we fall somewhere in between the very regimented, schedule version of parenting babies and the like loosey-goosey, nursing on command kind of whenever, like we were somewhere in between. And and that is pretty much part of the course with me. Like I'm like, oh, calm the heck down. Both sides of that. We're going to be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so, but I mean, I have friends who, who have done sleep training with their kids and it was wonderful. I have friends who tried it and it was horrible. So it just, it's about what works for your own family. For us, something in between where we were on a schedule, but we weren't rigid to the schedule is what worked for us. Random tangent, but have you ever used blue light blocking glasses? No, everyone keeps talking about them. I feel like I'm I'm the person who never quite knows about the new gadget. And then I, I like go online. I'm like, what's everyone talking about? <laughs> okay. From one Melanie to another Melanie, they are game changers. Especially, I imagine, are you a night owl? Yeah. I mean, I think I would be, but I have to get up so early with my kids that I start to conk out early. Basically, what they do is you wear them at night and they block blue light. Because blue light, when we're exposed to it, it instantly shuts off melatonin production. So when you wear them at night, it keeps your circadian rhythm in line and it really just combats our modern lifestyle. And I've been using them. People are starting to learn about them now and my audience knows all about them, but I've been using them for, I mean, I don't even know, eight years, maybe I will never not wear them. Well, I'm willing to try anything. So I will get them immediately. I, I'm going to get you a pair. We both live in Atlanta. If we ever meet up, I'll bring you a pair. <laughs> they are amazing because I had never thought about blue light blocking glasses for kids, but I think actually that could be really valuable, especially if they're reading at night. Totally. I write, I, I write for Coffee and Crumbs and it is if, I mean, if for those of you listening, Coffee and Crumbs is a wonderful blog and podcast for moms and I have written for them um, a monthly essay since they started back in, oh gosh, 2014, I think. Anyway, a lot of the moms, we talk amongst ourselves, a lot of the other writer moms I know from there, they love their blue light glasses for their kids because now with all the virtual learning, the the kids have had to be sitting there staring at screens all day. And so that they're, they're getting blue light glasses for their kids and they love them. So good to know. I didn't even think about them for myself. For listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes. I have a coupon code. I use the Blue Blocks brand and they come in like all different styles and different types. And I just, I love them. And actually that ties into, you're speaking about moms and working. How do you feel about working moms, working parents, that whole thing? I am one, so I love them. I, I mean, first of all, all parents work. You know, I, I stayed home with the kids for a few years, and it was the hardest work I ever did. Several of my best friends are stay-at-home moms, and they work so hard. 
I work from home as a writer and I also have a job where I am working away from home quite a bit as well. And whether you are a stay-at-home parent or you leave to go to work, you have work outside of the home as well. I think the most important thing is that we model to our kids that work is a gift. And so that's what I want my kids to learn, no matter what I'm doing, is that work is a gift and that we get to work. There's a line from the old mini driver movie, Return to Me, where Carol O'Connor says, I'm blessed with work. And I love that because I do think work is a blessing. And we, we know that better than ever now, don't we, Melanie? Because this year, so many people have been out of work. So many of our industries have been, we've had to sit home and not work. And so we are so excited when we do get to work and do the work that we love doing. And so whether I'm working from home or I'm working my writer work or anywhere else, I want my kids to see that I love my job and that I'm grateful for my job and that I'm going to do the best I can at my job. And so that's, that's really what I, what I want to give to them and really just figuring out the labor division in my home. You know, I have a partner and we both work from home. And so we've really every week, like put our heads together and figure out who's doing what so that we're balancing our parenting work as well as our non-parenting work. So my husband's a graphic designer, I'm a writer, and then we also are both parents and dads are parents too. And so like we both are trying to go, okay, what what can we do to partner in parenting, our, our job as parents, as well as our day jobs, our jobs that we're doing that earn money and so on and so forth. And so we don't ever just want to assume that things are going to, you know, like, oh, the mom's going to do everything, or I'm not going to just assume that like Alex is going to drop what he's doing to go pick up a kid from something. It's an ongoing conversation for us every week of figuring out that labor division within our home. I, I do think like, yeah, if you have a partner having those open conversations about who's working when, where they're working, how, how you're coming together to get it all done. And then of course, if you're a single parent, then you're doing all of it. And blessings upon you. And, and, and I hope that, you know, you have a community behind you to, to help out as well. Like, I think we all within the community, we don't have to do everything. You know, I say no a lot to the, like the things that the school needs because I'm busy with other things, but that I want to find places where I can say, yes, you know, other parents are helping my kids with some of their stuff. So then where can I help other people with their kids? And so I think as a community, if we can all come together and help each other out, we can all raise our kids. Like it takes a village. (laughs) I know for me personally, just in my own life, not having to say yes to everything and realizing where to put your energy, I think is so important. One more last big, and this is very big in the sense of big topic, religion and, and spirituality. When I think about how I would raise my kids, I think the two things I get stressed the most about is how do I handle the diet? And then how do I handle the religion, spirituality? So I was raised Christian. I still identify with Christian, but my religious beliefs, the way you talk about in your book is kind of how I felt. It's just as far as like evolution of spiritual beliefs. And I've talked to my sister a lot about this. Like if I had kids, like how to raise children in the whole spiritual religious world. So if you'd like to touch briefly on that. Just a light little, just a little light topic about God. It's totally totally easy. No one has any issues with this topic at all. Yeah. I mean, it is challenging. I I debated putting it in the book because it's kind of a sensitive topic for a lot of people, but I really think a lot of parents are figuring this out. One of my neighbors who I absolutely love, they're, they're Hindu and they were raised Hindu and they were having a baby and figuring out like, well, 
are we going to pass this on? How are we going to pass this on? What does this look like at our home? And we had such great conversations. So I am a Christian, but I know that people of all faiths and, and probably people even who have no faith would say they have no faith. All of us are figuring out, well, where does belief come into play with our kids and how do we raise them in a world where there are various beliefs and we have various beliefs. For me, one thing that I teach my kids a lot is that it's okay to doubt. And that's really important because my kids have doubts. I have doubts. I have been kind of overhauling what my Christian faith looks like over the last few years and trying to figure out what I believe and and how that practice comes into play in my family. And so it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions. You can bring your questions to us. You can ask your questions. This is a safe place for questions. I resonate so much that the gospel of Mark in the, the chapter nine, there's a dad who actually says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And like, he is like, that is when like, who am I most like in the Bible? I'm like, I'm like the dad who's struggling with belief. (laughs) That's, that is my Bible character. Like some people say we like Jesus. I like Jesus too, but I got to go with the dad who's struggling. (laughs) Like he's the one I resonate with. So I want to model my own faith to my kids. My faith is important to me, even though it's confusing to me right now, it's important to me. It's been a huge part of my life, my whole life. And so I want to model to them what that looks like. And so one thing that they see me every morning, when they come downstairs for school, they see me with my Bible and I'm just reading a chapter of it. I, I used to come downstairs in the morning and my dad would just have his Bible out and he had, he was fancy. He had like different color highlighters and all of this stuff. And he never like preached to me out of it. He never was like, let me tell you what this says and why you need to do this immediately. He just quietly was reading his Bible every morning and something in me said, Hey, that's that's cool. That's an important thing. And so I've kind of taken on that practice. So I'm, I'm passing that on to my kids. I'm not going to make them do it, whether or not they choose to get up every morning and read their Bibles, but they're seeing me do it every morning. So they're seeing what's important to me. I think building faith practices into our routine has been important. So when we're in my big smelly minivan together, we pray in the van. I might read a scripture at dinner when we're we're all together. And so I'm just, when I already have the kids together, that's the time to just kind of build in a faith practice rather than like forcing them to come together at a weird time or do something, just like make it kind of an effortless part of, of when you're already gathering as a family. And I'll tell you, Melanie, I'm not afraid to bribe my kids. I pay my kids or I bribe my kids with things that are important to me. And so I I will bribe my kids if there is something I want them to read or a video that I want them to watch or a discussion I want to have. I am not afraid to be like, hey, we're having ice cream for dinner and we're going to watch this little video while we do it. Or, hey, I would love for you to read the gospel of John and I will pay you 10 bucks to do it or whatever that is. I just, you know, especially as the kids get older, they're like, what's in it for me? And I'm like, let me tell you what's in it for you. I'll pay you $20 to read this book right here because, and then to have a discussion about it. I'm not going to force you to believe what it says, but I I would like to interact with you about the contents of this book, whatever it is. And I've done that several times because I want to put things in front of them and go, Hey, I, this is important to me. I am willing to compensate you for your time. (laughs) And, and I just, I want to have a discussion about it and you can choose whatever you choose. I'm not going to be like, 
overly adamant or get red in the face about it, but, but it's important to me and here's why. And so I've had really good conversations with the kids through things like that. And then finally, the thing that I'll I'll share that's been helpful is to ask for help. I mean, we are not enough for our kids and that is hard to say and it's hard to admit, but it's true. I mean, were your parents enough for you? (laughs) Like I needed other people in my life besides just my parents. When each of my kids turned 13, I had a little gathering with other adults and I had each adult who was important. These were aunts and uncles and grandmother and grandfather and some key neighbors and and people who my kids knew. I had them all write letters to my kids saying like, life advice or encouragement for them as they move into the teen years and letting them know some of these people like shared their cell phone numbers and said, you call me if you need me. If you can't tell your parents something, call me. Or if you're ever wrestling with something, I'm here for you. And so we've done that with two of our kids. Now we have one kid left to do this with here. And, and, and here is a, just a big binder filled with letters from people who love you, who are resources for you. And as you encounter things and as you doubt and as you're struggling, whether it's with your faith or it's with people at school or a boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever it is, you have all of these people in your life who love you, who care about you. They're safe people for you. And if you don't feel like talking to me and dad about it, these are your people. So you're not alone. And so we want to just give our kids as much help as possible. And frankly, sometimes I'm just, I'm out of prayers. I mean, for those of us who are just boots on the ground parenting right now, sometimes my prayers come out more as like guttural moans while I'm like finished putting my kids to bed, like, uh, <laughs> amen. And so sometimes I, I reach out to like the grandmother, you know, the, the person who is great at praying, who has more bandwidth right now in that area and be like, Hey, can you pray about this particular thing right now? And so it's okay to ask for help spiritually. It's okay to ask for help in general, frankly. But those are a few things that have helped me when it comes to lightening up about belief, lightening up about passing it on to my kids. I don't think it has to be this thing that we freak out about, but I think it is okay also to admit like this is important to me. And so I'm going to I'm going to do what I can to teach my kids something that's important to me, but then I'm going to relax about the results and not freak out if they don't agree with everything I say by the time they're 8. <laughs> It's so incredible and so beautiful. And I just think a really wonderful mindset to have surrounding all of it. That actually brings me to my last question that I ask every single guest on this show and brings everything full circle. And it just speaks to why I think mindset is so important surrounding everything. And that is, what is something that you're grateful for? Hmm. What I'm grateful for right now, I want to say the vaccine's coming. (laughs) Get me out of my home. (laughs) Honestly, after this year, I am so grateful for, and I get kind of, kind of just weepy thinking about it, like the frontline workers and the scientists and the, the doctors and nurses and medical staff, the people who have kept us going, the, the people stocking the grocery store shelves. Like sometimes it just hits me with how hard people have been working this year to keep the wheels on this thing called life. (laughs) And I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for, I I have a, a handful of neighbors who we socially distance around a fire pit every Saturday night. I call it church of the fire pit. And we get together. Usually we're drinking some kind of bourbon and, and like, just, we sit far apart 
and we just share about our day and we maybe moan about our kids a little bit and we encourage each other and we laugh ridiculously. We, we share the latest memes and YouTube things that have been hilarious. It makes me feel normal and it makes me feel like we're going to get through this. And so I'm really grateful for my, my neighbors who I just sit distanced from and hang out with and feel like it's going to be okay. <laughs> I love it. It's wonderful. I'm so grateful for your work, Melanie, your book. Listeners, if you are at all a parent thinking of becoming a parent, this is the book that you want to get. Again, it's called Calm the Heck Down. I'll put links to everything in the show notes. How can listeners best follow your work? The book's available anywhere books are sold. And I have a website. You can get to it by MelanieDale.com. And yeah, I, of the social medias, I tend to hang out on Instagram the most, Melanie R. Dale. So I'd love to connect with anybody who wants to. Awesome. Well, again, it'll all be in the show notes. I really, really enjoyed this, Melanie. I was so nervous going into it because I was like, I don't have any experience in any of this. But this, I mean, your book was just amazing. And I think you're doing really amazing things. And I thoroughly enjoyed this. And I know my listeners are going to love it. So I'm really, really excited. Well, thanks for having me, Melanie. It's so cool to talk to you. And I really enjoyed this. Awesome. Well, I will talk to you again in the future. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at melanieavalon.com. And always remember, you got this.